everyone. This is Colin in Alberta, Canada, on the hunt for the Wendigo, telling you to listen to the Hellboy Book Club. What was that? Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle Renee. Thanks so much, Colin DeGraff, for the intro this week. That was really great, and please send us your version of the intro. You have to hear our voices every week, so we want to hear yours. That intro was pretty slick. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was great. <laughs> Make sure to check out our pals over at Mignolaverse.com and Mike Mignola's art on Facebook. Some things I forgot to talk about last week when we read The Black Goddess. Why Johan was drawn to the tower, damn it. We said twice that we were going to come back to it. And then one time Aubrey even goes, I think we're coming to it. And then we still didn't, didn't. talk about it. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of The Black Goddess, it was revealed that Johan was, uh, you know, the lobster was was in Johan's yeah. suit or whatever. It was made out of his ectoplasm at the end, which is funny because... Abe kind of questioned Johan if he was all right. He's like, no, I'm totally in control here. But we wondered why he killed that monk. And in in the Iron Prometheus, those are the monks that the lobster was fighting. Right. So So, and then Johan kept saying, I feel drawn to this place. I feel, you know, I don't know why, but I'm drawn to it. And I think part of that was the lobster pulling him there. And I didn't make that connection until I was like, oh, it's the lobster and that whole thing. So there's a good little mystery in there. Yeah. So I wanted to come back to that. And then we had such a good discussion on the Black Goddess that we also forgot to talk about some of the trivia points. The colonel that was working with Johan was based on Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Guy Davis said, John Arcudi had in the script for the gold dragons to come from the smoke from the frog's mouth, but I thought they deserved to suffer more. And I sketched out the idea of their tongues swelling, and because John and Mike spoil me, they let me do it. <laughs> I was like, that was actually pretty awesome. Yeah. The way that they popped out. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> So that was Guy God. Davis's idea. Mike wanted the dragons to have long, twisting bodies similar to mythological Chinese dragons, and Guy Davis based their design on moray eels and his pet ferrets. Super cute. Oh, that's awesome. Liz was going to have painted symbols and tribal markings when she's in the robe floating right. in front of the thing, but Guy Davis thought it looked too cluttered. Yeah. And there mm. are some samples of it in the sketchbook. They actually look really cool. I thought it, I thought it looked neat. I can see the aesthetic reason for yeah. that you want a really clean image it's very it sticks out in your mind when you see it so i can understand yeah that. you don't want to overload it yeah she's got like that anums fork sure on her palm it's kind of cool i have to agree i like the i like the fact that they didn't use it because it just makes for a better image right yeah the aesthetic is very yeah and also mike mignola sketched out the thumbnails for kevin nolan's covers last week and Nolan said that he made faces in the mirror to get the look of the Yeti oh, wow. for the cover of issue three, where it has the big Yeti head in the yeah. front. Oh, that's cool. All right, on to some listener feedback. So this is really funny. I'm always asking for reviews every week, and I really hope that if you're enjoying the show, you'll leave us a review. But I found some reviews that I couldn't see. Oh, so yeah, on iTunes, that you had never seen them. On iTunes, I'm zoned to U.S. Canada. But if you move the zone to a different area, 
you can see other reviews so that funny. we couldn't see. So that we've got an, a bunch of other reviews that I never even acknowledged. I'm not going to read all of them, but I just wanted to give some shout outs. Thank you so much to... Some shouts out. Yeah. Thank you so much to Gravitomas in Brazil. Gave us a review on iTunes. He said, my favorite comic podcast. And I also want to thank Kane Gray and Jerry Turnbull for also giving us review and five stars on iTunes. And uh, I just wanted to read this one from Warpaint Paul. Hey, you damn guys, five stars. Perfect podcasting. They read a Hellboy comic. They talk about it to their friends. <laughs> then we write to them and talk about it. <laughs> then they read what we wrote. And then they talk about that. Then we listen to them. Then it's a book club. Friendship. <laughs> oh, my God. That was great. It's a book club. Yeah, so thank you so much for the reviews. Let's keep those coming in. I never nice. even thought about having to like switch regions and stuff like that. Thanks for those out-of-town hey-damn guyses. Thanks so much to Mark Tweedell and Matthew Boyne for giving us a shout-out on Twitter. Random Hellboy is a really great Twitter that I follow, and they had posted a thing that said, um, it's never too late to get onto Hellboy. And right, yeah. There was a whole thread about it, and somebody was like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, I just picked up the first one and this and that. And then Mark Tweedell and Matthew Boyne were both in there saying, hey, join the podcast uh, and follow nice. along with them. They'll follow the reading order and stuff like that. So thanks so much for all of that. Steve Friendship. Sa yeah. Awesome. Steve Santiago Art on Instagram said, I was just looking through the BPRD list of issues in the Mignola Versity reading order and seeing many of the BPRD stories should actually be read in a particular order, which does not follow the order which they were released in. Kind of confusing when I haven't read my omnibus and trades in a while. And so, yeah, we have been doing a little bit of jumping back and forth, right. but I think it works really well. It is a little complicated, though. Um, he, so, so he's saying he's got to take this one off the shelf and read that and yeah. put a bookmark and then put it back and take this one off yeah. the shelf and find that one in the middle of the book. Okay, yeah, I can see how that would Well, be. I mean, if you think about what we're doing right now, right. we read Darkness Calls, and now we're picking up with The Wild Hunt, but they're together in the library edition. Sure. So you would have had to right. put that library edition down, go to BPRD, read The Black Goddess, but we're not done with that one either. Right. So put a bookmark there, then come back to the... Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's fun, though. Sorry. Sorry about it. <laughs> I enjoy it. I think it just flows really well, and I think most people... My hope is that we have people that have never read this stuff before and that are coming along with us for the for, as first-time readers. But I think a lot of people have already read this stuff, but maybe not in this order, which is my case. You know, I've read all this stuff, but... Well, it's a new way to look at it, even if you have read the yeah, material. Yeah, I think it gives you... It enriches it a lot more. Yeah, I actually like the way that we know. I mean, the story seems to just flow very well. And like even things like when Witchfinder comes in, yeah, it, everything yeah. just seems to just pop like in to its and right I, spot yeah <laughs> i i agree with that and i appreciate that someone else has done all the work yes. for yes, me Mark Tweedo thank you Mark Tweedo. and so when i i want to know if you're referencing something in a story i want to have already seen that yeah i want to already know what the fuck you're talking about i don't want to be like oh i guess that's a thing i didn't read you yeah know? So that's, that's that's something that point. i everything that we've been reading I already have a frame of reference for that. I already have. Isn't it also like where some of the stuff, like, you know, stuff they referenced, the comic hadn't even come out yet? I think the only one that we really did that with was Abe Sapien Lost Lives. Uh, but I think everything else has been falling into somewhat, I don't know, I need to think about that a little bit. Being Human, that was out of place too, publication-wise. 
but for the most part, yeah. But yeah, I totally agree. I, I like. I've been enjoying this uh, journey that we've been on. Yeah. yeah. Like if there's a major plot point that comes up, <gasps> or someone is redrawing something, I've already seen the thing that yeah. they're redrawing. Yeah. Which is, to me, like you said, it really makes it for just a better overall experience. I guess. That's one of my favorite things is seeing yeah. people redraw the same thing from a different yeah. point of view or a different art style. This is a unique story. As well, well, series of stories, but it's a unique universe or whatever. Yeah. Like you can't just pick up a fucking X X Men comic and know what's going on. Right. <laughs> There's no way. Yeah. And you can't even really reliably find someone in the store to be like, "Hey, do you know what's going on with X Men?" People will be like, "Ah, I." I mean, but anything before this current run, no, I have oh, no right. idea what's going on. <laughs> so it's a, it's. Not that I don't like. I mean, X Men is what got me into, con- you know. I love X Men. Oh yeah. In, but I love a specific, t- section. like section of X Men, right? Oh, that, oh yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so that's something that 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 doesn't really affect the current. When you have a, a universe that it just has a specific like team. Oh yeah. Working on all the different books, you're gonna have this. It's coherent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know what you mean because, like, for me, it's like, cohesive. Excuse uh, me. It's cohesive. For me, like the Claremont X Men is one story, but then the uh, Grant Morrison X Men is a different story, and I appreciate both of them. But yeah. you don't need to read either one no. to know what's going on. Exactly. And well, I, just to piggyback on that, I think what you guys are talking about is a testament to Scott Alley, who yeah. is the editor and who like keeps all the we call him continuity guy. Absolutely. But he oh, yeah. keeps everything in line. He keeps everything sure. all together. So. Yeah, I think that um, he does a really good job. He's kind of like the guy behind the scenes. You yeah, know? and this is something that, and we talk about this a lot. Like, like I said, I love X Men. I love any number of X Men stories, but those are specific sets of stories in a specific right. set time. I also love. We talk about like the Sword by the Luna Brothers. Oh yeah, that's a very. They specifically plotted that out from beginning to right, end. Right, twenty five issues. Knew it was going to yeah. be exactly twenty five issues. Knew that ahead of time. This is something that's a little bit in between both of those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not, it doesn't have a set, you know what I mean? Like, there's a bunch of different offshoots and different jumping around and little stories and stuff, but it's, it's so, it's still contained in this little universe yeah. here, and he can do whatever he wants with it, but it's still this thing. So, yeah. I, I think that that's a very interesting, it's a unique microcosm within comic books. I guess it helps that uh, Mignola's the only one been writing. I mean, not the only one. He's been the one, the guiding force, you know, right. through yeah. the whole thing. And with something like the X-Men, you've had different editors, sure, sure. different writers, and different, right. you know, Even with mandates. different writers on the story, everyone's communicating with each other. Oh, yeah. So that's something that's, yeah. yeah. It's well, I mean, like very a, unique. No, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know what you're saying. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, I just love I love this whole universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good point. It's all coming from one kind of general point of view or one vision, I guess. Everyone yeah. wants to kind of uh, respect that and keep that intact. Yeah, yeah. And I think that everyone that's coming onto the project is is focused on that, which is really... Yeah. They're all trying to tell this story they're all trying to make sure they get it right yeah and it also doesn't feel like one comic will contradict another Mm-mm. comic Mm-mm. yeah you're right it all kind of a, goes, a new writer, flows the same way a new writer editor artist jumps on the team and they're like throw away all this yeah. fucking shit <laughs> this guy's back to life this guy's dead you know it's like i want to take it back to the what i was reading when i was a kid oh uh, yeah. yeah actually she time traveled so she's his daughter and it's a whole thing and he's his own son. Yeah, basically. <laughs> At Feline Fatale on Twitter said, Since I've discovered Hellboy Book Club, I've been basically binging episodes to catch up. 
Luckily, I've read most of the Hellboy discussed, but looking into newer episodes, I need to start on BPRD soon. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, if you think about, like, what if you hadn't read BPRD and oh, you sure. just miss out on all this? <laughs> you know, Guy Davis is so amazing and all those stories are just really yeah. well crafted. Definitely, I think you'll really enjoy BPRD. Guy Davis is amazing. Oh, definitely. At Gary Dowell said, at Hellboy Book Club, if you guys want to know more about nerdcore hip-hop, and I know you do, I recommend Negan Facade's kick-ass documentary, Nerdcore Rising. Have you heard about this documentary? Um, it, I want to say I've seen it. it. Yeah, it centers on MC Front a lot. Yeah. He's a big part of it. Yeah, I want to yeah. say I've seen it because like uh, I knew who Front a lot, I, know, I knew who MC Front a lot was, so... I think I saw it pop up on like Netflix or Hulu or something. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's got some pretty good reviews. It's won some awards. So yeah, check out that documentary. Some feedback on The Black Goddess. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from our good friend Matt Strackbean. Follow him at Friends of Strackbean on Instagram. I can't uh, push that enough. It's hey, such it's a it's, it's been such a great Instagram. It is so great. I know. It's just like, like I said last week, several times a day. Yeah. <laughs> I love that guy. This week's podcast episode was really, really fun to listen to. I'm really enjoying hearing you guys put all the pieces together and reacting to some of the epic scenes the same way I did when I first read these comics years ago. However, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't experiencing some of my favorite comic stories through your fresh eyes. I'm seeing things in new ways like never before, so thanks for that. In reply to your inquiry as to my secret for producing artwork so quickly, simply put, I was born the fastest boy in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And um, Matt also reached out to me on Instagram, something I've always been a little fuzzy on. I thought maybe your crew could shed some light on this one way or another. Did the BPRD ever remove the failsafe from Roger? Maybe I missed that bit if they did, but if they didn't, I have another question. I went back through Hollow Earth. There's a a scene in Hollow Earth where Abe is telling Kate that he's going to quit. And she's telling him not to quit. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. And he tells her, well, Kate tells Abe, the Bureau did a stupid thing, but that's over. They're never going to do anything like that again. So that made me infer that maybe they did remove the failsafe. What do you guys think? Because remember, like, they had a trigger for him in case they needed to blow him up. And at the end of Conqueror Worm, they're they're almost going to use it, but then they don't. And And then then you're saying that it was implied that it was taken out. Right. But it's never explicitly stated i guess so anyway uh listeners let us know what you think i thought that was a good question but i guess i just inferred from that comment that yeah they had tried to make good or go back on that or whatever well saying that they won't do anything like that again doesn't mean that they took it out though right yeah i would have to assume that they definitely did if they you know what i mean i mean i would think that if they hadn't by the time that daimyo came around I think Daimyo uh, sure. explicitly trusted Roger. He would have had that shit removed. Right, had yeah. He known. I think they did. Maybe. I'm, I'm firmly That's a good on point. the side of that they definitely did. We had a controversial Hey You Damn Guys from our good friend Kevin Alford oh, over man. at Mignolaverse.com. He <laughs> says, Hey You Damn Guys, I had to pipe in as a show of defense against the hateful and violent attacks on the podcast against my most favorite and mustachioed friend, Martin Guilford. <laughs> He's frequently called an evil wizard this week. No, 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 no. 
know. I didn't but know. it's ignored the fact that he's constantly acting on behalf of the continuation of mankind. Listen, listen, listen. Well, hold on. While the, former, <laughs> while the former Guilford may be a kind of abrasive and a little intrusive, he also did what was necessary and effective to stem the tide against the forces of humanity in the War of Frogs. While it is always necessary to punch a Nazi, it is not always necessary to murder a murderer. Guilford was right. P.S. I love you. Okay. <laughs> when I say evil wizard, what I really mean is there's just a certain brand of wizard that has a very specific aesthetic <laughs> that I appreciate with all of my black heart. And when I say evil wizard, I'm talking about like a brand TM logo yeah. wizard. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a specific, you know what I'm talking about. It's not necessarily the costume that you'd find on Halloween. Sure. It says evil wizard. It's not. Yeah. It's not necessarily that I think that I've built my life around evil sorceresses and evil wizards. See Final Fantasy. <laughs> right. And so I don't know about the eugenics program he's got going on, but I do know that he believes that he's right, which is the first step towards building any kind of a readable antagonist i'm not saying that i would slaughter billions of people if given the chance i'm just saying i understand that he thinks he's got a good case and that's enough to make a good story but the whole evil wizard thing is like look at how he is dressed that is all i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) it's a fucking badass costume and i wish i designed it it's lovely but I would wear that shit. Evil wizard it's an evil, aesthetic. He's an evil wizard aesthetic, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm saying that's my favorite aesthetic. That's not something that I am judging. Well, he's also coming off as um, it's like what we were saying last week. Uh, you're not wrong. You're still an, he's asshole. an asshole. Yeah, you're uh, not wrong. He's not. He's not wrong. Quote unquote. He's just an asshole. Yeah, and so you know, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. He was right, but maybe yeah. the wrong way about it. Now, Magneto. Magneto was right. Jen Niklas also had kind of a controversial stance on the Black Goddess. Jen Niklas. He said, no, sir, I don't like it. (laughs) I reread all the BPRD recently, and the Black Goddess sticks out because I always started to ask myself, why was this important for the whole series? Liz gets back, no biggie. Guilford repeats some stuff we already know. He thinks he's the Messiah, and Puff goes out into flames. After all that buildup, he's just another warlock whose role could have been filled by any other baddie. And what annoys me so much more about the character, he gets presented as this big menace. Snide comments by Panya aside, and then puff. Liz just burns him. Good on you, Guilford. Thanks for wasting my time. Oh, no. The thing is, he's basically Rasputin, but without the unintentional humor. Rasputin is a braggart, speaks loud, and it became a running gag how often he gets his ass handed to him, either through his own fault, wake the devil, or anyone else, seat of destruction. The universe seems to hate our lovely, crazy monk, and that is fun. Guilford isn't fun. His backstory doesn't fit with the evil Fu Manchu persona he plays in the present. Mm. Where are his insecurities? Why not turn him into a coward just to remind readers what a loser he really is? It may have made him more fun. Fun is important. Another idea that got to me, maybe we never learn anything about the lobster because the lobster doesn't exist in the classical way. Maybe he's just a kind of spirit that manifests itself if people are angry enough, and now he's on a rampage, feeding on real force of the people that summoned him and those he considers evil, would explain why he's so good at being a vengeance-driven ghost. Hmm. Hear you next week. Yay, the Wild Hunt. Interesting. Yeah, what would you think about that? Well, 
I want to tackle the first part of that real quick. I see where you're coming from. I think it's all a matter a matter of personal taste and personal experience. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you're. I mean, you can't be wrong for having an opinion about a story. So I totally see where you're coming from. I, for me personally, the reason he's not Rasputin is because Rasputin, for us, it's like very black and white. Aligned himself with Nazis, believes that he is in the right, right. but clearly he's really not going about the right way of doing things and and all that sort of thing. Gil, well, his said it was his name wasn't even Guilford. What was his name? Memnonsa. That guy. This is a little bit different. Yeah. And I think it's on purpose, and I know that you feel like this really didn't serve, sort of didn't serve a purpose, but hear me out. I feel like, if you've ever seen The NeverEnding Story, the movie, right. I never read the book. I know I probably should have. It's a great movie, though. The, he's passing through these gates, right? The Oracle gates. The first one, they shoot lasers out of their eyes because you got to be confident in yourself or else they're going to shoot you with lasers. Easy enough, right? You just run through there. You don't get shot or you do. Then, then there's another gate. And it looks almost exactly the same, but it's not. This one's a little bit scarier, and you don't know why. Because there's no lasers coming out of the eyes. You should be really afraid of lasers. They could totally kill you. So that's something that's obviously scary. This is something that's scary on a deep internal level that you cannot really vocalize. You can't put it into words. Because is he a villain? He seems really rational. Right. You know, with Rasputin, it's like, I am <laughs> ah, Nazis, ah, lasers. <laughs> and with this guy, it's like, well... If you think about it, I'm I'm right. And right. people go, well, is he? And that's something that's a little bit... And so the statue, the second statue that you're looking at in the Never Ending Story movie is crumbling. And it's very sad and mournful. And it's like, if you don't stop the nothing, what's going to happen? And it's like, why am I afraid right now? I'm so afraid. And it's because of that unsure feeling. Right. It's because of that we're dealing with something that's a little bit more rational. It's a little bit higher stakes. It's something that is scary for a reason that i can't really put my finger on and that is i think crucial to the next he's kind of the next step in the yeah. evil wizard evolution that's just the next i think it's just the next challenge for this team to overcome they're used to overcoming you know pow bam right in the you know jaw. They're, they're used to punching nazis in the jaw right they're not used to having to grapple with the real time emotional ramifications of what it might mean for the world for them to make these big cosmic scale decisions and i think this story kind of represents that and i know it's like oh it turned they got liz back and wow whatever i really think it was important for us to see this for character development and i i'm a big fan of character development i know that sometimes it feels like it's not driving the plot very well but i i i have to humbly disagree i think that this this gave us a new dimension of what the team was really going to have to face it's a lot of inner shit that goes on so i don't know that's my thing and then the thing with lobster johnson i think you looked like you had a thing not really about lobster johnson uh when i was reading the whole black goddess i actually did fe start feeling like like guilford or mimnon or whatever he wants to call mm -hmm. himself <laughs> i'm gonna call him gilly boy, <laughs> gilly boy. Uh, <laughs> he did start to feel like a little kind of like a like a cheap rate rasputin sure during that story but then you actually make really good points so yeah i find it hard to disagree with you on that well and wouldn't that be the point too it's like oh we got another rasputin here we're just going to keep getting shades of Rasputin unless we do this. It could also be that Rasputin was the first um, sure. antagonist to the whole storyline. Right. So it's natural to compare yeah. all the other antagonists to him, especially when they have a similar... Well, it's an archetype. Beat. It's yeah. an archetype, right? And just like we're getting, we're seeing the archetype of the 
this goddess. Yeah. Over here, we've got the archetype of this, the magician over here. And there's a lot of different, you know. Well, with, and I just wanted to briefly also with Lobster Johnson, he's got a lot of motivation for revenge. His whole fucking crew was killed one by one, right? And that's, that whole thing was to kind of show us like just the driving force behind his spirit. Wouldn't that be his team? Well, he also has that personal uh, experience with uh, him himself, the way he like, burned him with that uh, yeah. monkey skull he's like you're mine sure. forever or something like that yeah and yeah. you know how he is all about vengeance he's yeah. all like and maybe he just that could also i mean i do agree that his team is probably part of his driving force but i think it's also his drive for bringing evil to justice right sure, absolutely to taste the claw yeah. of justice <laughs> for sure and 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 what o- what other you know uh, motivation would you need to bring justice when all of this is happening it's kind yeah. of all culminating in this yeah. one big thing so i guess i'm just kind of a sucker for i'm just a sucker for everything in that story it was an aesthetically driven story it was a you know so i can see how that would feel like a waste of time to some people but for me i i i, I really enjoyed it i do hope though it is something where um because i was reading it i mean to me, Memnon saw Guilford, Gilly Boy. Uh, <laughs> he was just kind of like the antagonist, and my my main focus was on Liz. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I feel like people have been using Liz since right. issue one of Seed of Destruction. You know, yeah, that's uh, true. But we and got I'm more hoping... of an insight into what the fire. Is. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. no. Yeah. And I'm hoping that this is kind of like like maybe this is like like when she woke up and she burned Guilford. Yeah. I don't really want to see Liz get taken control of again. Right. By somebody else who wants to use her as a battery or a this or a that or that. I, I don't want <laughs> to have a Liz again. Right. I think it's, it's kind of a, because she's an archetype too. It's, I hate to keep rehashing. That's the word oh, of the I day mean, this time for me, but she's. No, I, I mean, true, true, yeah, true. But, they're trying to remind us of like yeah. what all of that really is. I mean, I think. she probably is like the most powerful person. Sure. On the planet. <laughs> And people will want to exploit and abuse that. And, right. You know, she's had her trouble, like, you know, killing her whole family, then having to go live in the bureau where yeah. nobody would want to touch her. Uh, so she has her own, like, psychological scars sure. that she has to, I guess, deal with or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think Liz is a great character. I really enjoyed the reading about her. The glass cannon. Yeah. Yeah. And Jerry Turnbull also had some thoughts on that conversation. He said, I think there's a big difference between Rasputin and Sa and their motivations. Rasputin was sort of a cosmic midwife, ensuring the next stage of mankind's development. Sa seems to be motivated by selfish goals. He wants to come out on top using Liz and her access to the Vril. And uh, I guess my my big thing about Sa was his whole, like, he kept saying, you know... Everything that I'm saying is the truth. Yeah. And I'm never going to lie to you. And all this fucked up shit is going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, that was, like, the big thing. you can't stop it. He's like, nothing you can do is going to stop this. Millions are going to die. And this shit is going to happen. He keeps showing Liz and Abe these horrible visions. And it's kind of like, for me, that was that was what I really took away from those stories was like, holy shit, you know? Like, we thought that the frogs were a big deal, but really it's this whole other thing. He introduces kind of the next phase right. of the story. Drew Campbell said, Aubrey is correct. The BPRD are not a branch of the military, thus they are civilians. Oh, cool. Cool. Jason, Good job, Aubrey. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Adabon said, Killer, listening to the podcast just now and following along with the Black Goddess, it's worth pointing out how much the top of Memmansa's palace looks like the angel that transformed Call into Abe. 
that little uh, um, that golden tower. And he said, you guys were saying how they need to do an origin for Sean Chin and his battle against the Ogdraham. It's coming and it's totally worthwhile. Yeah, so I don't know where he got that info from, but that sounds exciting. When I posted about the Thadrian frog replicas, De Sequoia said these would make awesome cookies. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be cool. And Mark Tweedell said, nice to hear a discussion about the frogs. And just so you know, Bovril tastes like regret. <laughs> and Skeleton Crew... <laughs> And Skeleton Crew also gave us a shout-out. They said, thanks for the shout-out, Hellboy Book Club. Aww. And for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast yet, go check it out now. Aww. When I posted about the comparison to the Iron Prometheus and the Black Goddess, Sarah Cole asked, do you have a preference for the lobster Baby Kyle nose guard? Okay, so I saw that comment. Yeah. I actually do. <laughs> How much of the nose do you like as the mask? In some ways, it really changes how I view the character, the more man we see. So, yeah, what did you think about that? Sometimes the nose guard is drawn up and sometimes it's drawn down. For who? Lobster Johnson. Oh. It's oh, like, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh, I never noticed that. When I posted the comparison of Guy Davis yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jason Armstrong, they were a little different. A little yeah. I don't know. It's just like sometimes I'll I'll like you know, like doodle and I'll doodle Lobster Johnson and I'll draw the whole like the nose sure. piece covering the whole nose and yeah. all that. But it got me to thinking about it, and it's just like, hmm, which one do I prefer, aesthetically <laughs> speaking? Right, right. Because I'm sitting there looking at the two ones, and I'm just like, I guess I'm more gravitated towards it's more on his nose and less off his nose, but yeah. I can't knock either one. That's good. I like yeah. it covering the whole nose huh. also. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the daredevil cowl a little bit. Oh, yeah. interesting. And it also made me think of um, the Batman cowl, because sometimes people will draw the nose differently. Yeah. You know? Sarah also said, better or worse, the lobster's look slightly warps in the subsequent ghost bits, since he's more a myth than man by this point. Mm. So his legend allows stretch improv. <laughs> Costume begetting theme is a big thing for me, she says. <laughs> <laughs> when I posted about the gold dragons, Colin DeGraff said, I think the dragons being gold is full of meaning both symbolically and scientifically. Sure. The properties of gold, the metal, are that it is a conductor for heat and electricity. These would make it a perfect conductor for real energies. Gold is also a corrosion-resistant element, resisting acids, solvents, and chemicals, which in my mind makes them the perfect choice to oppose the corrupting influences of the Agra Jihad. Oh, the alchemy angle. And the breath of Love change. It. Remember in Love the, in yeah. the uh, Conqueror Worm, there was this, the breath of change Absolutely. would turn people into I those monsters. I love that. That's a good angle. Gold is also malleable and can be shaped without breaking, making it a fitting resource to reflect and personify the bending bodies of the dragons. That is quality content. If you want to get all hyperborean, gold in mythology was typically coveted and protected by dragons. But what if that was an entomological mistranslation? A dragon commonly hoards golds in these stories, but the root of the word hoard itself is treasure. Going back to these roots, it reads like a dragon hoards treasure is akin to saying a dragon treasures treasure. What if humanity mistook the dragon verbing gold rather than being of gold? These beneficial properties making a gold dragon a treasure unto itself. Are literally being gold. Yeah. That's, yeah. And he also said, also, they're far more badass than frogs. <laughs> Those are gorgeous comments. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed that. He said, thinking a little bit more on this, the periodic table symbol for gold is AU, which is very close to a num. 
but it's not spelled the same. And he's like, damn it, my Professor O'Donnell moment was ruined. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but these were great comments about the gold dragons. And um, I really like that. It goes very well with all the themes that have been laid out so far. Oh, yeah. Joshua Worley said, when I posted about the Garden of Nurtured Harmony, thanks again for finding that out. Yeah, I mean, I I I was like, oh, that's probably a real thing. Yeah. And you found... And picture that's exactly it's yeah probably the one they use as a reference (laughs) maybe yeah maybe as a reference yeah and he said it's stuff like this that really enriches the title the team of mike mignola and john arcudi writing and plotting was a masterful thing to behold during the bprd run yes of course having guy davis and dave stewart on art never hurts either yeah when i posted about the where yetis kevin alford said i wondered if those necklaces were connected to the transformation i suppose not but that make a little sense if Saw was equipping his guards to be ready for the big brawl. And Sarah Cole said, more yetis in everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When I posted the comparisons of Heka Emenra and the Three Watchers by Mignola and Davis, Eric Horror said, I love Hecate. I wish there's a great ending to this great character. And Duncan Figredo gave us a thumbs up and a retweet on Aww. that one. Cool. All right, so this week we're going to be talking about The Wild Hunt, part one. The Wild Hunt was released in two four-month blocks. Issues one through four were published from December 2008 to March 2009. So excited to get into this. Yeah, and we have this awesome Mignola cover in the omnibus version. so good. So this cover is a variant cover to The Wild Hunt, number one, only limited to 1,000. So it's a pretty rare cover to find. So good. Wow. And those uh, those colors, Dave Stewart colors. Yeah, beautiful. We open in Italy. An old man rides a bike into a neighborhood. And this is a really nice scene. It's just good to see yeah. Duncan Figredo's pencils again. It's great to see Duncan Figredo. Yeah. The man drops off a letter in front of a door. I like his socks. Oh, yeah. He's got a little yeah. pattern on his socks. I didn't notice socks that. Like oh, that. That's pretty cool. I didn't notice that. Thank you. The door creaks open, and the man is spooked and rides away. The door opens up, and an old hand grabs a letter. But I just want to say, as he rides away, the way his feet are up like he that, gets, it just really gets the sense that he's, like, bolting out of there. It's he's really getting kind of, the fuck out of there. Yeah, it's funny. And this old hand grabs a letter, well, and it could, says Hellboy if, on it. If history is any indicator, if it's a letter for Hellboy, and it's at this old house that this guy's afraid of, Probably ghosts. Right. Probably. He's been, he's been hanging out with skeletons and ghosts like exclusively. Right. <laughs> so I can understand why that dude would be a little bit. Uh, and I like nervous. the. Oh yeah. I like the the way that Hellboy is written to yeah. the little handwriting. I wonder whose curse of that is. Yeah. Well, it has to be one of the guys from the Osiris Club. It has to be one of those. No, guys no, no, no. I'm talking about. Uh, Real life. <laughs> oh well, it has to be Figredo, right? It's Figredo. Yeah. Hellboy walks in the forest. What's this? He says to himself. And this bird comes down. So this little blue bird, I think this is the same bird that we saw in the third wish and the epilogue for Darkness Calls. I love this little bird. And there was even a bird in the Wolves of St. August that was blue, too. So I wonder if this is the same bird all through. Well, I'm pretty sure that it is for the third wish and Darkness Calls because you see this bird talking to Queen Mab. But I wonder if it's the same one from St. August. For me, I just like the idea of these little Elseworld, elfin universe talking woodland creatures and the birds for me especially i i really enjoy these little talking birds that yeah. come in and talk to hellboy and figredo does a great job with them 
The bird tells Hellboy that this is the funeral of King Dagda, the last king of the Tua Dedanan. This is a very shallow grave for a king. Oh, yeah. Hellboy asks what happened to him. The bird says it was murder, and the king's son, Angus Mac Og, won't be taking up Dagda's sword. His brothers are gone, and soon he'll follow with them and the last of his people down into the shadows under the world. None of that race will remain to fight for this world, the bird says. It's coming. I smell smoke. War. And I just really like all these scenes, like all the scenes with the elves and this funeral, kind of like gold tinted. Yeah, it looks, mm. yeah, it's like a sepia. Yeah. And I actually found all these names. Angus Mac Og, Ed, Log, and Ogme. They're all the sons of Dagda in the actual Celtic folklore. Yeah. Oh. The bird flies off with the funeral procession, and Hellboy yells after it. Hey, come back here. Who's war? What are you? And this woman from the procession turns around and looks at him. I love that panel. I love that panel. Alice, Hellboy says. He wakes up on the couch, bottles strewn about him. Poor boy, he's dreaming, an old woman says to another. Mail for you, she says, and she hands Hellboy the letter. And I just really like this little interior, this little, like, Victorian house that he's staying at, you know? Oh, yeah. It, All the bottles. Cool. The and doilies everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and his, like, uh, utility belt strewn over the back yeah, of the couch. He's got <laughs> his, uh he's got his gun over there. And when we turn the page, the old women are skeletons. So, yeah, just like you said, they're skeletons. ghosts, right? Who the hell knows I'm here, Hellboy asks. He turns over the letter, revealing the symbol of the Osiris Club. Yeah. Oh, crap, he says. And I love how this is paced really well because he's yeah. like, who the hell knows I'm here? And then he says, oh, when he sees the, the wax seal, mark. Yeah. And then he goes, crap, when he sees he like who it. who's on the wax seal. Yeah, that's very... That's, <laughs> I can hear these panels. Yeah. I can hear him say that. Yeah. <laughs> and we last saw the Osiris Club in Nature of the Beast, which we discussed way back in episode five. 27 hours later, somewhere in England, Hellboy approaches the ruins of a castle. Hold on. I want to point out these cars here. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, vintage oh, cars. Yeah. It's crazy. You get three, looks like pretty well-maintained classic vintage cars. And this is supposed to be taking place in modern time. Right, yeah. So you know you got some like... Uh, sure, yeah. Some weirdos driving them. Not weirdos. Yeah, and it's, the, and it's these Osiris Car enthusiasts. <laughs> car enthusiast <laughs> i guess they have nothing else to do it's these osiris guys and they tell hellboy he's late well okay so just one thing and it's not anything <laughs> but at the very bottom of this uh page there's just three very small figures and it looks like one of them has a pitchfork just at first and i at first i was like is that the hey you damn guys guys and then of course you <laughs> turn the page and it's nice three very well-dressed gentlemen with a candelabra right but just brief for just one second, I, and I turned the page, and of course, immediately I was like, "Oh no!" It's the like, Hey You Damn guys from Almost Colossus. Yeah, and that yeah. doesn't even make sense because he sees the Osiris Club thing. Of course, he's going to meet, you know, well-to-do gentlemen from yeah. the Osiris Club. I, I totally, you know, my brain understands that on a cognitive level, but you know, my lizard brain saw that little image and was like, oh. "Yeah." It does look like those little guys. Anyway, but and there's the next three of them is, too. Yeah. yeah, and then we get all these. What I love, we get all these great callbacks from like the island and all that stuff. So that's exciting. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Well, the Osiris guys, they tell Hellboy that he's late. If you guys were in a hurry, you should have sent a plane or something. <laughs> I'm impressed that you knew where to find me, Hellboy says. And they tell Hellboy that it's been difficult keeping track of him. All those years lost at sea and something about an island. I would very much like to hear about that one day. And it's great to see Duncan do these versions of the island. Yeah. I like that uh, when, the one where it's like lost at sea and you see the uh, starfish on his coat. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of focuses in on that red doorway from the red island doorway, where all that crazy yeah. shit happens. And then all so. the gold area, too. Yeah. Which I guess is Dave Stewart remembering yeah that, well it? it was all the yeah it was all the stuff that makes ergo hem later yeah. of course we knew you'd return to england that you were staying in the home of certain harry middleton then we lost you again and we get more flashbacks here to darkness calls it took some doing but we finally discovered you in italy and we see when hellboy killed bromhead at the end of darkness calls so this is like catching us all up on what's what happened since then and these last several months you have been living at the home of the capo bianco sisters so there are a couple of nice old ladies i helped them out a couple years ago and they told me to stop by if i was ever in the neighborhood that was 20 years ago, the Osiris guy says, and both sisters have been dead these last 12. I don't see how that's any of your business, says Hellboy. <laughs> oh, man. Just like it's none of my business that you guys don't look a day older than you did the last time I saw you, and that was 50 years ago. And they're like, that's true enough. So, yeah, then that kind of goes along with they have those old cars and everything. Right. They tell Hellboy, it would seem of late you have been quite out of touch. No newspapers, no radio or television. I dare say no internet service. And Hellboy's like, you got me there. So you've been unaware of certain rumblings. And they tell Hellboy, no rain but thunder and the sound of giants if you take my meaning. And Hellboy's like, giants? And they all talk among themselves. It's true. They are giving up their graves. Not all. No, of course, not all. But a significant number this time. Quite alarming, really. And Hellboy's like, you guys are driving me crazy. Yeah. This whole, ooh, Mr. Yeah. Bond, kind of getting around the point, I can see how he would be super annoyed with that. Yeah, so one thing they mention here, it's a curious feature of giants that they rise from their graves. I wasn't able to find any kind of reference to that. I'd never heard of that before, giants rising from their graves, but I thought that was an interesting take. It seems like something you could just take for granted that yeah. that's, a, that's a folklore thing and then you just move on right. kind of a deal. <laughs> yeah. At least that's what I did. But Hellboy says yeah. he's seen it happen a couple of times. Right. And then so the Osiris guy, he pulls this handle in the ruins and it exposes a passageway and secret staircase. Shocking. He says they're not concerned with solitary giants, just gangs. Every so often, some giants gang up and a hunt is organized. You're kidding, Hellboy says. The Osiris guy leads Hellboy down this hallway with a bunch of giant heads taxidermied on the wall. Mm. Holy crap, Hellboy says. And so I really like all these panels kind of showing all the different all the different giants from the different hunts that they've had over the years. Right. They certainly didn't hire a maid. Right. <laughs> what's, oh, the point the of, what's, what's the point of putting trophies up if you're not going to maintain them? <laughs> the guy says the wild hunt was established in 1259. Usually it's no more than three giants, but this time it appears a gang of six are out up north. There's never been anything like it. Yeah, sounds pretty bad, Hellboy says as he inspects the pictures of all the hunts. And we see the guy with the deer head. And we also see Trevor Broom. Yeah, that was a uh, his face when he's pointing this out. He's like, hey, is this, you know, the... Yeah. And that's, uh, his face is very... It's good. It's good stuff. It's a good expression. Yeah. 
And the Osiris guy says Broom was a guest of the hunt in 43 and conducted himself well. Hunting giants, I'll be damned. He never mentioned it, Hellboy says. But then he never did say much about you guys. What's the deal with the mass? Tradition, they say, all regular officers of the hunt shall go in mass and keep their identities secret till they've drawn blood. How about the guy with the deer head, Hellboy asks. <laughs> the hunt master, a voice says, it is his honor to represent Hearn, god of the hunt. Oh, Hellboy says, must be hot in there. And he approaches the hunt master in the deer costume. So dry. And <laughs> I really want to talk us a little bit about this picture behind them. So this picture behind them is an illustration by George Cruikshank, a British book illustrator who lived in the 1800s. Cruikshank drew this illustration for Windsor Castle, a novel by Ainsworth, published in 1842. It is a historical romance with gothic elements that depicts Henry VIII's pursuit of Anne Boleyn. Intertwined with the story are the actions of Hearn the Hunter, a legendary ghost that haunts Windsor Woods. And there are various legends of Hearn the Hunter. He is said to naturally have antlers upon his head, ride a horse, torment cattle, and rattle chains. The earliest mention of Hearn comes from William Shakespeare's 1597 play, The Merry Wives of Windsor, and it is impossible to know how accurately or to what degree Shakespeare may have incorporated a real local legend into his work. There have been several later attempts to connect Hearn to historical figures, pagan deities, or ancient archetypes. Hmm. I thought that that was really cool that uh, Figredo kind of took inspiration from that, or I wonder if that was his idea or Mignola's right. idea to incorporate that, but... I'll post a comparison this week. It's pretty spot on. Very cool. Cool. The Huntmaster says, As Huntmaster, I choose the hunters from the old and noble families of England, and on rare occasions, I choose an outsider to join the hunt. Hellboy, what do you say? Will you ride out with us to kill giants? And on his glove is the Mignola skull. Yeah, Did you see that? that? Yeah. 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 And I love how Hellboy just kind of looks at the spear, and he's like, sure, why not? <laughs> It's a good little expression there. Very matter of fact. Well, and then also if you see on their um, jerkins, I guess, it's kind of a, there's a green oh, yeah, laurels. Yeah. Gold, gold laurels around it. There's also one on this little altar thing. There's like a big banner with yeah. one. I like that. Elsewhere with Garagok and his crew from Darkness Calls, a hedgehog, an elf, and the box. This little hedgehog. <laughs> yeah. He's so angry with his little tiny stick and he's... He's just so upset. He's, he's just so pissed. He's really cute. And then um, I feel like it's important to note that they are in England. Because yeah. this is a very English yes. tale. It's it, got a lot it, of... It really is. And the hedgehog says, It's been months now, and no word from other fairies or trolls. And I looked these up. Seely Court or Court of Elion, these are Irish and Welsh fairies. Mm -hmm. So he's basically saying, we haven't heard from the Irish fairies, we haven't heard from the Welsh fairies, we haven't heard from across the sea. And Grogok says the giants are trooping now. They remember her from the old days. Gah, bugger giants, the hedgehog says. Grogok says that she promised to give them part of the island back to them, to give them real power and kingdoms over men, but she was betrayed before then. But the giants remember Bugger that, the hedgehog says. What would you do with giants, slobby cows? Grogok assures the hedgehog that they'll all come when she calls. But the hedgehog says she only speaks to you, only to you. Our people need to hear her voice. How long do you think they'll wait? She will speak when she's ready to speak. Till then, I will speak for her, Grogok says. 
and they kind of stand up to each other. They have this little moment right here. It's good. And then uh, the hedgehog is like, God, this army, these creatures of England, their king is dead. You promised them a queen. She'd better be coming or it'll be hair to pay Grogok and your head to roll for it. And I just really love all the expressions and the attitudes these little yes. guys get as they're fighting. Yeah. And anyway, we cut back to the wild hunt and we see the hunters riding through the forest in the woods. There's a shot in the trailer that looks just like this. Oh, awesome. Yeah, where you see them all riding. So, oh. you know, a, a lot of the movie is supposedly based on this story. The Osiris Club gather around this woman with a crystal ball, just like they did in Nature of the Beast. Remember, they yeah. were all watching Hellboy this fight that dragon. Fucking mm. cabal of like these old white dudes. Yeah. Around watching this thing. Smoking their cigars. Super, <laughs> super great. Back with the Wild Hunt. So if you guys don't know each other's secret identities, which is cool and mysterious, what do you call each other? Do you have numbers, Hellboy ass? <laughs> kind of ribbing them a little. Yeah. And this one guy in the mask, he's like, I am Sir Richard Ashtree. Oh, so not such a big deal with the names, Hellboy says. I knew an Albert Ashtree. Sir Albert Ashtree was my grandfather, the guy says. Yeah, how is he, Hellboy ass? Dead. I love the masks. Yeah. The depiction of the masks, when you get some detail, it looks like they're carved out of wood. Oh, yeah. That's a really good um, really good design. And then uh, this is also this is a very Lord of the Rings yeah. scene here to me. Like, it's a very Albert Ash. I am the Edward Ash tree. <laughs> I am Richard Ash tree of the Ash trees yeah. long and forlornia. We all are a fucking <laughs> long lineage of boring white dudes in weird masks and it's a very <sighs> hellboy is taking all this in stride he's so <laughs> right he's so he cynical really is. at this point that it's just very he's very droll about the whole thing which i love and he's like sorry to hear that he was a great old guy he had this house it was haunted by a big slug sort of thing used to ooze up out of the floorboards every christmas eve and we get this flashback of hellboy fighting this ooze monster slug thing and Ashtree's like, and you burned down that house. Blew it up, actually, Hellboy says. We tried a bunch of stuff, but that thing was nasty. And Ashtree says that house had been in our family for 400 years. It was a gift from Elizabeth to the first Lord Ashtree. And Hellboy's like, yeah? Wait, are you pissed you didn't get to inherit the slug house? <laughs> <laughs> and his little expression there, yes. I just love the, how he's pulling the cigar out to ask this question. It just looks great. It's a wonderful moment of levity in this uh, <laughs> like like uh who was it before that was saying it's important to have fun yeah jenny close was Gen saying that yeah, yeah jenny close was saying uh it's important to have some fun i agree with you i think this is uh like you said john this his expression is so right. wonderful really i think great. that uh duncan figredo does such an amazing job with these facial expressions here and as the osiris club are watching this the woman's like arrogance stupidity there have always been that in the hunt well, and this guy, you know, rides ahead of Hell like Hellboy's kind of pissed at this interaction. He kind of flicks his cigarette and the guy, the ash tree guy who's calls him a monster and they're yeah. clearly kind of fighting, so that kind of sets up some tension there and that's yeah. so these guys are like Oh the hunter <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so We're good. On hunt today. Yeah, <laughs> I'm loving this. And the Wait, hunt uh, I go ahead. Listen, I like the way that Figueroa drew the way he flicks the cigarette. He just all like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's um, it's it's. Oh, I've done it, that. It's, well, it's just a very dynamic. Like it's, yeah. you can see it, like it was animated almost. Yeah, 
It's a good like a storyboard almost kind of a thing. It's very fluid. And then the way he's like, son of a... Yeah. <laughs> and the Huntmaster says, there's the spot. Lady Haddon has never been wrong about the place. And so Lady Haddon may be a reference to Elizabeth Haddon and the legend of the Bleeding Heart Yard. Elizabeth Haddon was a 17th century society beauty and daughter of Sir Christopher Haddon, and she was murdered in 1626, her body being found on the morning of 27 January in what became known as Bleeding Heart Yard. And it was called this because she was found torn limb from limb with her heart still beating. But apparently this legend is a garbled version of another legend featuring a lady named Haddon. And somehow it got attributed to Elizabeth Haddon, who wasn't murdered or anything. Hmm. So anyway, (laughs) you can can research all of that. I I love the uh, landscapes here. Yeah. The bridge and the... And so, yeah, they're looking across the bridge. They say they'll cross the stream there. Then we will have them. So they're all kind of getting ready for the giants to come. And back with the Osiris Club, the old lady says, and now treachery. Isn't it, this uh, bridge also shown in the trailer? I don't know. I'll Maybe I'm to, just like I'm I, at, you know, making it up. I haven't watched it too many times. I try, I'm try. i trying not to overanalyze it because I want to go into the movie kind of fresh. Mm-hmm. And suddenly Ashtree stabs Hellboy through with this spear. Ah. Die, monster, he says. And Hellboy's like, geez, as he falls off the horse. You should have never come back, cousin. We know what you are, and the devil will never sit on the throne of England. And Hellboy's like, what the hell? And they click this remote. And it starts electrocuting Hellboy. How many and times have we seen him get stabbed through the chest? A lot of times, a lot of times yeah. Times. And the Helioptic Brotherhood of Ra had these electrified spears yeah. in Dr. Karp's experiment mm, and Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. Chapter 2. And this cover of Chapter 2 with this like king behind Hellboy... This is becoming a very sought-after issue right now. This issue has skyrocketed in price because it's the first appearance of the Blood Queen. Mm -hmm. And she's going to supposedly a prominent villain in the new movie. Hellboy continues to get electrocuted, and as he screams out, he finds himself in this other world, other place. I really like his expression as he, like, realizes he's like what the and he kind of looks down and he even has the hole from where they stabbed him on his shirt but the spear's not there a brutal scene he's surrounded by old knight's armor and figredo did a great job with this page i was just looking like you see how the roof is kind of tattered too and it's kind of like all coming down king arthur that's exactly what I thought. Right? <laughs> king Arthur. Yeah, so this light shines down in the middle on a king surrounded by knights, and they're all dead. Hellboy, Hellboy, he hears. Who said that? Hellboy asks. Wake up. Hellboy startled awake. He's still got the spear going through him. Jeez. It's daytime now. And this little brown bird talks to Hellboy. I love this little bird. The bird's like, shh, the giants are still near. And all around Hellboy are the dead hunters. So giants must have attacked, right? Right when they were electrocuting Hellboy. Hellboy pulls out the spear. How'd they miss me? He asks. You're invisible, the bird says. Look in your hand. Hellboy opens his hand and he's got this little flower in there. I love this. Yeah. This magic is fantastic. So the bird must have come and put that in his hand while he was still knocked out. I was noticing that uh, earlier, like at the funeral, they were dropping those same They're flowers. They're dropping those flowers in there. And so it made me wonder if that's where he got the flower from. Oh, yeah. Like, and I didn't make that connection until well, and you were, minutes ago. And you were saying it's a shallow grave, but that makes me think, well, it's invisible. 
right. it's, it's probably invisible, so yeah, it doesn't matter. The flowers. Yeah. And I don't know if necessarily uh, that the bird got the flower from because he says it's a gift from my mistress, so it's probably just the same type of flower that the mistress deals with mm. with all. Oh of, yeah. That the bird's mistress deals with with all of the different situations where flowers are called for. Yeah. No. Well, I was just thinking of when the old lady handed Liz that flower in the black flame, and that was how she got connected to Memnon Sa. Yeah, I just thought yeah. of that. Interesting. Well, there's a, well, I mean, with any kind of shamanism and witchcraft, you're going to have a connection to the earth and, you know, botany and herbology yeah. and all this sort of stuff going on. So I appreciate that little detail. Yet another archetype. <laughs> and the little bird tells Hellboy to follow him. I'll be damned, Hellboy says, and he starts walking off. Not that way, the bird says. You said I'm invisible, Hellboy responds. Let's see. And he approaches the giants. And I like the reveal of all the giants. They're eating the men's horses. And just all their different armor and everything. They just have a really cool look to them. This guy's got a helmet. And I love how they're like walking through all the giants. And Hellboy just starts talking to the bird. He's like, guess you're. And she's like, shh, be quiet. (laughs) And the giant immediately starts to notice. They start sniffing around for Hellboy. Hurry, the bird says. I don't know. If there was a magical talking bird that gave me a magical flower and the bird was trying to tell me which way to go. I'd probably just follow the bird. Right. Like, I don't know. But Hellboy, he looks down at his hand and he's like, ah, screw it. And the giants immediately notice him. That's more like it, Hellboy says, drawing his gun. And he just starts shooting one right in the face. Like, immediately he just starts going at them. We get some really nice action beats. I like how he throws the gun at this one and it just bounces off his head. It's just like, clunk. <laughs> I love that. That was just great. And we get right hand of doom boom number 26. And Hellboy even says boom as he does it. Mm-hmm. And the giant booms him right back. And Hellboy goes flying, but he eggs on the giant still. Oh, yeah, you like that? Come on, he says. And so the giants, they go to attack him. Elsewhere, the army of elves sleep. Grogok sits by the box and an old man approaches. Who are you? What do you want? Grogok asks. No one, only a traveler. I'm looking for Grogok of Lone Lean, he says. And look who it is. Oh, man. Astaroth. It's Astaroth, Astaroth. yeah. <laughs> it's your boy, Astaroth. <laughs> <laughs> you found him, Grogok says. I don't think so, Astaroth responds. I saw him once years ago. When the elves rode out against the giants under the banner of a king now dead, he rode beside the sons of that king. That was a good day, Grogok says. And we see them. These are Dagda's sons, right? The four sons. And so he rode out with Dagda's sons. So that's how important he was. Yeah. Yeah. His face, his this last panel on the page when he says, that was a good day, is such a, oh, it gets you right in the heart. It's so permeating. Mm -hmm. It's such a crushing, because of, ah, man, his whole... This whole thing is just very... There's no one more important to me right now than Gragak. Yeah. Like, there's the fe- the feelings that he evokes that this character really tugs yeah. at you and really hits you in places you didn't even know you could be hurt. It's just such a very relatable on such a... On the worst level. It's just such a... It's really beautiful and terrible and tragic. Yeah. I love it. Ugh, I'm such a sucker for this. His face... In those days, I had my powers, Grogok says. I could change my shape to anything at all. And that day, I became a monster and killed 20 giants myself. That's a story I heard. What happened to you, Astaroth asks. 
Love, Grogok says. She was a simple human girl, but she cast a spell on me surely as any witch. And I just really love this panel, what Duncan does with this panel, the flashback. It's just like a totally different color palette and... You know, this little fountain with the birds and everything, the The way that she's kind of like holding his head and touching his hair. They're in this lavish garden. Yeah. It's a very, yeah. And so the woman is asking him, please. And he says, you will be too frightened. You'll scream. And if that happens, I'll lose my powers and disappear and you'll never see me again. Why would that happen? Astaroth asks. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but I knew that it would. But I was in love, I couldn't deny her anything, so I became the monster, and she didn't scream, but I could see she was scared. And I love this design of this yeah. monster, it is so impressive. We only really get to see it this one time, I, I just really enjoy that monster design. Yeah, it's pretty slick. And so he sees that she's scared, so I changed myself into a songbird to make her happy again. I didn't see the cat, she did, and she screamed to warn me, and I was lost. I think the the juxtaposition of this monster and the bird. This little songbird is the most delicate little. It's a very princess related, you know, a very delicate and beautiful and kind of a symbol of this, you know, very fragile happiness and beauty. And, you know, when you see songbirds, you just feel, oh, what a lovely day. It's, you know, and so having that be the vehicle of his tragedy is just that much more right oh, crushing it's not the monster that makes her screams it's a, it's a little bird yeah it's a tragic irony to that yeah of like you don't want anything to happen to this sweet yeah. little bird and right yeah you know, anyway grogok says i wandered alone in the dark for a long long time till i nearly forgot myself then i stumbled back into the world and with the last scrap of my power i took the shape of a human baby so a real one could be stolen i don't remember why but it wasn't for long, and we get flashbacks to the right. corpse where Hellboy grabbed him with the with those iron. What is that? Um, the tongs. Yeah, with the iron tongs, and burned him with the iron horseshoe. I was found out by the creature Hellboy. You've heard of him? I have. Astros says he burned me with iron, and I swore to make him pay. It's like when I read that, I forgot about how like petty his yeah his revenge scheme is, you know it's just like that's it he burned me with iron now i'm going to fuck him up <laughs> he says i set free grom last of the formorian giants but grom ate me and hellboy by some magic beat him causing him to shrink to this sad size you see now and hellboy did use magic he had agrippa's charm and that's what he used to punch that thing eventually my spirit drove out grom's spirit and here i am trapped Till she sets me free. Till she makes me what I was again. His face again here is just so sad. I really... uh... And I looked this up. So one thing I thought was interesting is he talks about he was a changeling, right? He could change into anything. And there are many folktales about babies being replaced by changelings. And I even read of one where one of the changelings, when when he's found out, he goes out the chimney, which is what happened in The Corpse. And the Formorians, he says Grom was the last of the Formorian giants. Formorians are a supernatural race in Irish mythology. They are often portrayed as hostile and monstrous beings who come from the sea or underground. Later, they are portrayed as giants and sea raiders, and they are typically enemies of the Tuadadanan. However, their relationship with them is complex, and some of their members intermarry and have children. And Astaroth asks Grogok, You believe that she will? 
whether she will turn him back. I don't know, Grogok says. She has not told you that she will? I thought I heard her speak, he says, once. But now I don't hear anything. But you have faith, don't you? Astroth asks. I do, Grogok answers. And again, you know, just his expression right there. And Astroth says, good. And he pulls out this chalice from his robe. There's a village not far from here. Tonight in that place, every man, woman, and child is now dead. This is their blood. And I like this idea that the blood of this whole town fits in this chalice or whatever. It's like some magical thing. And when Grogok takes the chalice, the box kind of opens kind of like starts to open like yeah give me that blood (laughs) (laughs) i do believe grogok says and he pours the blood in there and then all the sleeping onlookers they awake and look up look they point behold your queen and we see the queen of blood come out of the box finally so good and she's just totally covered in blood that's a great reveal it's incredible yeah love it i'm i'm all about this (laughs) When we last saw Hellboy, he was being led by that little bird, but then he stopped to fight the giants. And now in chapter three, we open up in Ireland in a home and we see all these pictures on the mantle. And one of them is Hellboy holding a baby. And there's a mom, dad, and a redheaded daughter. The same redhead woman comes in. I used to stop by and check on you every once in a while. You were little. You wouldn't remember. I remember, she says. Sorry about your folks, Hellboy says. I liked them. They liked you. Come and sit. I love all the little details, all the little books and picture frames, this lamp with the lampshade, and there's like a, she's got a TV in there, she's got a laptop. Oh, yeah. She's got little boxes and stuff. It's like an old school box TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the amount of time that it takes to put all these little touches in there to really make it feel like um, this nice little cottage. Yeah, but like, yeah, it's, it's a little cottage, and it's this wooden furniture, this handmade wooden furniture, and so the juxtaposition of that is just good. Anyway. We learn it's been 43 years since the corpse, and Alice could see fairies. They never tried to hurt her. Her mother knew, so she was packed off to school. Alice said she tried to put it behind her, but after her mother died, there didn't seem to be much point. And so this is the same little baby from the corpse, right? Right. And I love this little panel with Hellboy eating the cookie. He like dips it in the tea or whatever, and then yeah. it like snaps. There's like little crumbs flying through the air. And I, uh, I like the idea that, you know, she's she's enjoying the company of these fairies, and she can right. See, but her mom is like, nope, fuck, fuck no, <laughs> fuck that, no, 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 no. We're sending you away. Alice says she's been waiting for Hellboy to return. She's the woman who looked at him at Dogda's funeral. I thought that was a dream, Hellboy says. Can you tell the difference anymore, Alice asks. I can't. Hellboy says, it's funny that I recognized you. I hadn't seen you since you were a little kid. Must be magic, Alice says. I guess so, Hellboy responds. And I love her expression right here where she says, must be magic. Yeah. She's kind of, she's a little... Yeah. She's doting on him a little bit. a little soft spot there. Alice says, maybe it's vanity... But I did think you'd come sooner. Yeah, well, I meant to come sooner, Hellboy says. But I ran into some trouble. And we flash back to Hellboy fighting the giants. And we get right hand of Doom Boom 27. Or is it the 26 from a different angle? Because he says boom again. Uh, well, are we counting depictions of it? Individual depictions? I would, No, I was counting like... Like it happens in real How time. many times it happens. Hmm. And so I'm wondering if this is the same one that we saw earlier, but just from like a different angle or something. So 
It looks like a different one. Though. You think it's a different one? So we'll oh. say that one's 27. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, let's go, go ahead and... One of the giants tries to get Hellboy with his giant sword, and Hellboy shatters the sword with the right hand of Doom. And then he takes one of those shards, and we get this one top panel of Hellboy just charging. He's like in full fight mode. Well, better late than never, Alice says. Now, you're probably wanting something stronger than tea, and maybe there'll be time for that later. But now we've got to get going. We don't want to keep her waiting. And one thing I noticed in this panel behind Hellboy is that stove where he yeah. got the pokers or what it, What were they? The tongs. tongs. Yeah, where he got the tongs and burned Grogok. Back with Grogok, the Queen of Blood sits on the box in a red robe. Ugh, and we don't, so we can't cool. see her eyes. Yeah, it looks yeah. great. Love it. And I love that, you know, everything else is this purpley gray. Yeah. And she's got this just the br- most bright red you know, wrote, and that's the only other color. Yeah. Everything else is just kind of a gray or purple. It's a full moon. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Where are the witches of England, she asks. Half are dead, drowned. They threw themselves into the sea when they heard you had come back, a witch says. Most of the rest are in hiding until they hear how you are disposed towards them. I know that voice, the Queen of Blood says. Helene, sister. Come closer. And this witch's face, when she tells her to come closer, she's like, shit. Oh, <laughs> she's got her little uh, her little satchel. Yeah. She's, and uh, She's qu- not looking forward to this. No. And the Queen of Blood says, closer, hold out your hand. Ah, here was the cup of poison and the knife that cut my throat. And she like. Turning her hand to she, stone. She like contorts her hand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess it turns to stone. And the witch is just like, your majesty. You are brave to come here, the Queen of Blood says. And where is Ganeda? Not drowned, I hope. And this other witch is like, I'm here. And this witch, Ganeda, she bows down before the Queen of Blood. I prayed this day would come all these years that somehow you'd come back to us, that you'd take your rightful place as our queen. Poor Ganeda, the Queen of Blood says, dearer to me than a sister, but not so brave. I trusted you most of all. And she starts like, She's got bonitis. Right. Yeah. She's like uh, turning her bones. She's like crunching her up like a paper ball. Yeah. Just like yeah. contorting all her bones into every wrong possible way. Right. And just, yeah. It looks yeah. really painful. But it was you who put the poison and knives in their hearts. You turned them all against me. And so Ganeda's just there all crumpled up. She's like, kill me. And then I look. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I love this, how after she does this, the Queen of Blood is like, now I'm settled with all the witches and I forgive them for leaving me in the box. So she's like, okay, I crunched up this oh, one man. one and now I'm fine. Now I'm, I'm ready to. Grogok mentions that there's been no word yet from Elian or Mirror or the... And the Queen of Blood says, let them keep to their palaces in high places. I care nothing for them. I want an army out of caves. I want the forgotten people out of the dark, those who have lived in the dust with only hate to sustain them. This other witch is still all crumpled on the ground over here. I love that. One of them's like taking her away. I want teeth that have gnawed dry bones while dreaming of blood. Give me an army like that and who will stand against us? Loving this, all of that. Yeah, Yeah, and we finally see her eyes here. They're red. Back in Ireland with Hellboy and Alice, they walk in these hills. And they remark on how Alice hasn't aged as she should. The little people did me some good, she says. Alice brings Hellboy to a spot where she saw Queen Mab the night after Dogda's funeral. Awesome. At least I thought she was very queen-like, Alice says. And they don't find her. 
Hellboy asks if Alice knew what Queen Mab wanted, and Alice says it's a war. She says you're to blame, but as I see it, it's both of us. Alice says she said it was from your handling of that changing left in my place. He swore he'd get even with you. Over the years, that turned into a hate for all mankind and a dream to have his people take the world back. Then there was something about Hecate, the first queen of witches, and you destroyed her and her being born again and locked away somewhere. I really couldn't follow that last bit, but she said you'd know, and how it was all your doing. And she said, with Hecate locked away, the witches asked you to be their king. I think it's good that you turned that down. Well, I guess that changeling went to those witches and sold them on the idea of a new queen, someone a hundred times more horrible than their first, someone who's going to stir up the worst of the old creatures and band them together. All because of me, Hellboy says. I guess that must be the curse of your life, that the ruin of things will come from your good works. Queen Mab, Hellboy says, and so we see this old woman, so we also saw this old woman talking to the little bird in the epilogue for Darkness Calls, and so I think that this is the bird's mistress. Remember you were asking that? Yeah. So uh, that's who it is. Makes sense. Queen Mab says, it's been a long time since I was queen of anything. And Queen Mab is a fairy referred to in William Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet, where she is the fairy's midwife. In the play, she's a symbol of freedom. Later, she appears in other poetry and literature and in various guises in drama and cinema. Queen Mab tells Alice that she's part of all this, too, and tells Hellboy that the new queen once a witch herself, now wants war, a war with no victory. She only cares for the spilling of blood, all blood. I'm sorry, wasn't did wasn't she in, uh, she has to do with, like, Merlin and King Arthur and yeah. all that shit, too. Like, yeah. she's another archetype. Yeah, she's been incorporated <laughs> into a lot of those legends. Queen Mab. The queen tells Hellboy, I know your heart, but I also know your blood. And I know what happened to you in the sea, and I know what happened on that island. You died there, and a dead man took your blood to restore himself to life, to fashion himself a new body from it. And what did he become? The thing you were meant to be. And we get these awesome Fregredo's versions of the events of the island, and we see this awesome devil version, right, that we saw also. The truth is, is that you were sent to destroy the world. I know you destroyed that creature, but in all those months in that little boat, wasn't he there with you every day? Just as he has been with you every day since. Drink, hide with ghosts in their houses, but you cannot escape him any more than you can escape your own shadow. The thing is a part of you, maybe the biggest part, and continue as you have been, it will consume you. The truth is, is that it's already begun, hasn't it? And we get a flashback of Hellboy charging at those giants with the sword shard. And Hellboy just looks down. Listen, I've been through all this with Hecate and Rasputin and the talking fish, Hellboy says. I'm not here to tell you what will happen, Queen Mab says, but to tell you that I see only one hope. One chance for you to escape your fate. You are your father's son, but you also had a mother. Either way, you are bound to wear a crown. And Queen Mab kind of rises up. She turns into this other form. And I was noticing this, so if you, if you kind of go back and you look at the pacing on this, yeah. first they're in the hills, then when Queen Mab appears, it turns all black. Yeah. yeah. And then in this panel, it starts to turn like what her robe is like. Her yeah. robe is like this blue and black, and then yeah. it all starts to turn into that. Her presence kind of gives the world yeah. this else form kind of a otherworldly quality. Right. I like her... Uh, 
the way her face becomes almost kind of like a weird mask. Well, and on her on her costume when she's an old woman, yeah. those little masks are all on those. Yeah. No, it's yeah. just cool. I just dig it. Yeah. A king is wanted to call and command an army to oppose this queen of blood, Queen Mab says. You want an army, Hellboy asks? I know some guys. I can make a phone call. Oh, is that the BPRD? Yeah. <laughs> great. No army of men, the queen says. By the time men see what's coming, it'll be too late. You have to hurry, the queen says. You are running out of time. And it kind of all dissipates back and goes back into the hills. And Alice is like, well, that was a thing. And I love her expression on that panel, too. What was that she said about you dying, Hellboy? And Hellboy's just like rubbing his chin, thinking. And Alice turns around and she sees this little goblin guy with a long beard and big ears. He's just like, hey, guys. Hey, what's up? His expression. Chapter four. We opened 47 hours ago. And it's when Hellboy picked up that sword shard to fight the giants. Hellboy charges at the giants, and they look fearful. And we get this panel of just all red. On the next page, Hellboy sits on this pile of corpses, giant corpses. Head, arms are all chopped off. And Hellboy sits atop, blood-soaked with his full horns. He's got his horns. Yeah, what would you guys think about that? Interesting creepy reveal yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like he he let the monster inside take over right because he was invisible and then he was like ah screw it. like he couldn't yeah. help himself he had to do something so th- that's what hellboy was thinking of when he was just kind of staring off at the end of the last issue hellboy you in there alice asked snapping him out of it and he looks at this little goblin guy so this little goblin guy in the sketchbook it says hobnoggins <laughs> so i don't know what else to call him but that this little guy, he introduces himself to Hellboy as Edmund, Duke of Gloucester. And they doubt it. And he says that he doesn't really know what his name is. And I couldn't find a reference to Edmund, Duke right. of Gloucester anywhere. I did look for that. He tells Hellboy, I'm an Englishman and you're an Englishman. American, actually, Hellboy interrupts. And Hobnoggin says, that old Mab left him to find the army. And Alice says she kind of likes him. Hellboy tries to tell Alice to go home, but she says she's waited years for this, and Hellboy's going to need her before this is over. I might need you already, Hellboy says. Hob leads him into this weird-looking wood, and Alice and Hellboy hesitate, and they say it doesn't look right. Not your world and not quite theirs, Hob says. A bad place to be lost, so you stay close. And as he scurries off, Hellboy says, he's a happy little guy, I'll give him that. (laughs) Alice says, if Mab left him to be your guide, then you can trust him. She's looking out for you, don't you think? She also asks Hellboy, what was that she said about you being killed? Is that true, she asks? Yeah, I think so, Hellboy responds, and we get this flashback to the island where Hellboy was stabbed by Ergohem. What was that like, Alice asks. It hurt, Hellboy responds. That's not what I mean. I mean, what was it like being dead? And we get this another flashback. This is when Mothlomi asked him if he was ready for it to be over. I love that panel, all the stars. Yeah, we kind of saw something that looked like that in the Iron Prometheus when they went into that other space. I don't know. Well, how'd you get back? I don't know, Hellboy says again. You don't know much, do you, Alice says. Not much, Hellboy responds. Hob calls Hellboy an Englishman again, and Hellboy again tells him he's American. 
You're funny. I've been around a long time, since before kings and priests, before Merlin and the devil set those stones up at Salisbury. I know an Englishman. And so I was looking for this. This is a reference to Stonehenge. Stonehenge is located in England, not in Ireland. But that may not have always been the case. According to legend, the monument was once southwest of Dublin. As explained by Geoffrey of Monmouth, Merlin the magician moved Stonehenge from Ireland to England to serve as a memorial for hundreds of Britons treacherously slain by the Saxons during a truce meeting on Salisbury Plain. In some versions of that legend, Merlin enlisted the devil to help him do this. Hob asks Hellboy if he knows the Dane Hills at Leicestershire. Hellboy says he's been there. When I was there last, there was an oak tree, and a goddess lived under it, and people used to hang their gifts for her in that tree. I wonder, is it still there, Hobass? I know that tree, says Hellboy. It sits in front of a cave. A cannibal hag used to live in that cave, and every once in a while, she'd grab little kids, eat them, and hang their skins in that tree. Black Annis. Does she still live, Hobass? No, Hellboy says, and we get this flashback. Supposedly, he <laughs> fought her, right? Yeah. And I would love to see this story. I don't know if we've ever seen this. Poor thing, Hobbs says. She was beautiful in her time. Ah, but cursed with long life and abandoned by her people. What do you think became of them? And these small creatures, Black Annis' followers, they rise up from the ground. And all this stuff about Black Annis is exactly as it is in the folktale. Mm -hmm. Ungrateful children turn to wild beasts. Damn, Hellboy yells. This little guy led us into a trap. And the art here is amazing. I just love Fagredo drawing all these little guys and their swords. I think in the sketchbook he said it was time-consuming but fun. <laughs> Hob calls Hellboy a murdering bastard. How much golden blood on your hands now, he asks. Callie Burr, the brown man, the bog rouge, Hob says. You're next, Hellboy yells at him. And so I was looking for this too. We know the bog rouge from The Third Wish, but technically she killed herself. Because she yeah. threw herself on on Hellboy. Um, yeah, but that doesn't stop him from, like, you know, right. him anyway. And I couldn't find a reference to Callie Burr. I don't know who that is. But the brown man, it might be a reference to the Anglo-Scottish folklore, the brown man of Myr, who is a dwarf who serves as a guardian spirit of wild animals. Hellboy says Mab set them up. She wouldn't, not her, Alice says. The little creatures, and they throw these little elf spears. They're called elf shots. So there's replicas of these. Yeah. You can buy the little skeleton crew. And I love this panel where they're all like hitting the right hand of doom. All the little sound effects. Damn, Alice, stay behind me, Hellboy says. But she gets shot in the hand by one of these little spears. Hobnoggins laughs. That's poison, and she is dead. Dead, dead, dead. And suddenly these three white birds appear, and they attack Hob. He is very scared of these tiny little birds. Yeah. I love the panel with these. With I love the, all the birds flying in and the next page and they're they're singing this sweet little song while they fly in and attack him. Yeah. It's very sweet. And Hellboy cradles Alice and it looks like the birds killed Hob, right? Because he's like he says dead and then he just falls over. Yeah. Don't worry, I'll get you out of here, Hellboy says. But Alice is dying. And these three white women appear. They have large eyes and knives. I like that. So are the knives the like the daggers. bird's claws? Or yeah, the little daggers. Are they supposed to be like the... Or like their beaks oh. or something. Or the beaks, yeah. She is poison. She will die, they say. Screw that, Hellboy says. And who the hell are... And he's like, oh, he realizes they're those birds. So like, is he seeing them 
do they exist as the birds and as the women at the same time? Yeah. Like, how does he realize that it's the... Uh, they can kind of show him what they want to yeah. show him. I like that, just that mystical yes. kind of, like, it doesn't spell it out for you. No. It's just yeah. all kind of inferred, and you kind of, like, it just makes it, it it's gives very, it that magic quality. Yes, and it's a very, very dreamlike quality as well. It's like a very, you know that this thing is simultaneously these two things. Like, I was me, but it wasn't me. And right, it's, yeah. It's very... And they say, our lady has medicine. All right, let's go, Hellboy says. How far is it? And listen, if you guys are jerking me around, or this is another Hellboy, one of the ladies says, shh, close your eyes. And he closes his eyes, and we get these black panels. And when he opens them, he's staying in front of this large black castle surrounded by fire. Holy crap, he says. And so that's where we're left. That's where we were left. We were left there for five months. Fortunately, you don't have to wait five months. We'll be reading the next four issues next week. I just love all this Duncan art. It's I almost want to say on every page and oh this and point out all these little details, but it was, um, it was very wonderful. To, yeah, to he does a it. great job. Some trivia for the Wild Hunt. So there's this, some great sketches by Duncan Figredo drawing Hearn, the god of the hunt, the guy with the deer head. Oh yeah. And he says. I was recently helpfully informed by a fan that I put the antlers on backwards. <laughs> if I'd been quicker-witted, I would have insisted it was a design decision, and evolution would catch up with my way of thinking eventually. But alas, comic conventions are not a place for quick wits. <laughs> I once used antlers as um, a reference for, like, tusks for a monster I was drawing, like, like uh, two of their bottom teeth. Antlers are just like a oh, yeah. very cool and interesting yeah. kind of from a design perspective. So it's, yeah, I could I could see how uh, he would just be like, oh, it's on purpose. It's just to make it look weird or whatever. There's some lovely sketches of Grogok in his elf form that Fergredo draws. And he says, this was a chance to restore Grogok's dignity, a sense of nobility he lost along with his lady when he was cursed and finally trapped in the body of a pig. The length and content of the preceding sentence also gives some indication of how much story was compressed into very few panels. At a time in comics where decompressed storytelling often leads to pages of empty exposition, Mike is a master of saying a great deal about character and motivation with deceptive brevity and simplicity. Yes. I really love that. And yes. yeah, these are just beautiful sketches. Super good. Oh, I did want to point out about um, Grogok's armor and his elf form. Reminded me a lot of uh, the armor in uh, Excalibur. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Those, that that little like circle piece that's right there. Yeah, I mean that piece reminded me of the movie Excalibur, <laughs> and the way the armor looked in that. I don't think I ever saw that. Oh, the the nineteen eighties one. Uh uh-uh. Oh, it's cool. It's got one of the early appearance of Patrick Stewart. Oh wow! Before he was in Dune. <laughs> wow. And there's some great sketches of Alice also. Fagredo says. She's a lot older than she appears, so I wanted a timeless quality to the way she dressed, with just a hint of the modern world. Scenes with Hellboy and Alice were initially a challenge, but so rewarding. The gentle play of body language between the two allowed for subtle shifts in mood, light to dark, and back again. Mm. Mignola designed the giants, and he also designed that little guy, Hobnoggins. (laughs) 
I did these, yeah, I did these sketches years ago, and now I can't remember why. I was going to use this guy for something, but whatever it was never happened. I always liked him, though, and I'm glad I finally found a home for him, Mm -hmm. even though it turned out to be sort of a sad and tragic home. Oh, well. Yeah, and I guess that's pretty much it. Mike also designed those little guys, the little critters, Black Anises followers who were throwing the little elf spears and all that. All the little details that he put into that, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So that was great. It was great to be reading Hellboy again. And all this, um, there are, I was telling Aubrey, um, there's a lot of allusions to this stuff in the movie. If you watch the trailer, you'll see the wild hunt, you'll see them all on the horses and you even see those electrified spears and stuff like that. So that's all very exciting um, as we get ready to see the new Hellboy movie. All right. I guess that's anything else. I can't wait to read the rest of that. I know. I'm probably going to read it tonight. I I didn't want to stop. Yeah. There are a couple things that you guys have mentioned that I'm not saying anything about now, but I think you're really going to be surprised and enjoy the next four issues. So anyway, we'll talk about it again next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Share with us your thoughts on The Wild Hunt, part one through four. Send us Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find us on Discord. The link is on our Facebook page. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we are continuing The Wild Hunt, chapters 5 through 8. So pull out your back issues, grab a trade, Go to the library, get an omnibus, get a digital, take some pizza over to your friend's house and see if they'll let you borrow their copies, and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle Renee. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, wait, you're pissed that you didn't get to inherit the slug house? (laughs) 